The focus of concern in the expansion and adoption of electric vehicles into society has recently shifted from range anxiety to concern over charging speed and accessibility, which is driving the development and expansion of EVs as well as their fast charging station infrastructure. What are some of the considerations that designers should think about when creating the next generation of advanced electric vehicles? In this podcast, Sixths, in a six-part series, we talk to Miro Adzan, General Manager of Automotive ADAS Systems at Texas Instruments. Hi, Miro. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Happy to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here because these last uh, five and now six podcasts, we've really been going into a lot of the facets of not just EVs, but advanced vehicles in general. And it's really interesting to see all of the various ways these systems leverage one another to create that final solution. What do you think, Miro? Yeah, I do think that uh, the um, transformation of electric vehicles is definitely one of the big shifts that we see uh, in the car industry. And uh, there has been there has been also the big shift in terms of advanced hardware system systems. So when I look at the cars of the of today, the cars of the future, um, electric or electrification is definitely a big piece. But there's uh, at least a very similar size of uh, opportunity in terms of the advanced driver systems. And um, when I look at this, um, the, the the big thing is that we were talking a lot about autonomous driving and cars that will drive itself will drive the uh, the driver. Uh, that is true to a certain extent, but it's a little bit shifting into advanced driver system systems where you have more about security, convenience, um, and the functionalities that are supporting a safe uh, road experience. Not so much about the autonomous car by itself. Right, right. Well, I mean, there's a, a huge regulatory environment to be dealt with. There's the legacy automotive infrastructures that have to be worked around. And then when you think about the big trends, you've got connected cars with the ADAS connected. Um, you've got uh, GSR now in Europe. You've got NCAP with child presence detection. There's the advanced functionality required, camera views, and all of the re related sensor systems. It's all a huge gestalt, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So when, when you look at what is driving the advanced driver system systems and the adoption rate of these, uh, it's definitely, as you mentioned, it's regulation uh, on, on one side. You do have uh, very powerful regulatory requirements or um, consumer uh, requirements when it comes down to how you rank the different cars. And as you mentioned, uh, on the regulatory side, uh, the uh, GSR in Europe, uh, which is the general safety regulation that is driving uh, the overall safety of the car, and uh, here you have a regulatory requirement to have, for example, a driver monitoring system, eventually also automatic uh, emergency braking engines. But then you have also NCAP here being the uh, new car, um, the new car um, measurement system so that you can rank the different cars. And here you have uh, things like uh, child presence detection, uh, adaptive cruise control, these are all functions that are part of the overall ADAS system or can be part of the overall ADAS system. Um, and they are driven by regulatory requirements, but also by uh, consumer uh, need and consumer interest. Um, you do have the safety aspect, uh, which is a big piece um, of um, the ADAS evolution, but you, as, as said, also have the big piece of um, convenience. Um, I do like uh, the functions I have in my car, like the adaptive cruise control, 
Uh, it's a radar-based system predominantly where you actually sit in your car, you set the speed, you set the distance, and then the car is basically keeping this, this speed and also keeping the distance uh, depending on the traffic situation. Definitely something that increases safety uh, because you have your safe distance and you keep your safe distance. Uh, but it, for me, it also uh, introduces a very big piece of convenience. Uh, I don't have to accelerate. Uh, I can actually focus uh, on the traffic, but I don't have to uh, um, uh, make sure that I'm always in the same distance because that's done by the car. Right, right, right. Well, if you think about it like that, Miro, um, what we're really talking about is ADAS is not just control, it's awareness. I mean, there's a, an insanely high level of awareness that that ADAS system needs in order to do its job correctly. Like driver drowsiness is a factor because, I mean, the ADAS, obviously the driver's not driving, but the ADAS should be aware of the nature of the occupants, as it were. Are there children in the back? Do you remind, remember to take them out when you get to where you're going? You know, is the driver awake? So yes, the ADAS system is functioning, but it would be better if the driver were awake than asleep. You know, all of those things that can help other safety systems all also directly relate back to ADAS, right? Yes, that's true. Um, the different systems, the different systems, um, you could say, um, are getting a better picture of the driver and the driver environment and the uh, the occupancy of the car. Um, who is actually driving with the car? Are there actually people fighting inside of the car? Uh, that could actually then be used as uh, something that is um, creating an alert stop fighting in the car or uh, maybe eventually even uh, lower the speed of the car and um, and all and all this and all this uh, uh, is requiring all these different functions are requiring an increase in terms of sensors and in terms of computational power so when I look at the ADAS um, different sensors you have uh, camera sensors obviously inside outside of the car you have radar sensors Eventually, you might have also LiDAR sensors where you basically are able to use technology that has a higher uh, distance capability uh, than radar with higher resolution. Um, and then you have all these massive data that you're actually capturing with these sensors. You then com um, communicate this massive data to uh, processing units, uh, central compute units, or even uh, electronic control units that are decentralized. Um, and there's an increase in terms of how these different sets and so data is actually used to create sense of fusion to make a better picture for the car um, and for the system um, around the situation um, inside and outside of the car. Well, you know, exactly, Miro, because when you think about that, that level of awareness has to come from a massive sensor suite, but then that sensor suite has to be properly integrated, not only electronically, but also physically within the vehicle. It's got to, you know, fit into the trim. It's got to fit into the body of the vehicle. It's got to, um, I mean, when we see some of these prototypes, they look like they're, you know, they're aircraft carriers with superstructure sticking out of the top. That doesn't do very well in a car wash. A, a final product has got to be a toaster. You know what I mean? It's got to be a finished product that the consumer can trust. So when we talk about those levels of integration, the physical integration, the wiring, the logic, the the whole aspect of sensor sensor integration that the information is properly integrated so if i lose my camera maybe i can fulfill it because the lidar is filling in on that or you know what i mean the the redundancy and interoperability of systems what are your thoughts on that whole that whole aggregate of sensing ability and capabilities that have to exist in the car 
yeah, there is uh, the integration piece of uh, the different uh, physical modalities is uh, definitely a key aspect. So uh, when looking back, um, there were cars that have a rear camera. So basically it started out, when I look at the camera piece, it started out with, uh, I'm backing up with my car and I want to see what's back, back behind my car. So I had a very simple one camera that was stuck in the trunk or the trunk lid. Um, if you look at uh, today's cars, uh, we are talking about three to four camera types of sensors. Uh, if you talk about uh, activities that are going on right now in terms of uh, design, um, we are talking about 11, 20, maybe even more than 20 cameras. And this can be cameras outside to, uh, to generate a uh, 360 degree uh, visualization of your environment. This can be uh, inside the car. Um, for the driver monitoring, for the occupancy monitoring, for the first seat row, for the second seat row, potentially also for the third seat row. Um, outside as well, you are using the, the front camera, very high resolution front camera, uh, in order to detect the lanes uh, of the street and then um, keep the car inside of the lanes uh, by having this picture. Um, yeah, there is a, it's an explosion, I would say, uh, on the camera side. Um, on the numbers of cameras. And the same is also true for radar. You have, uh, we started out with, as I mentioned, the adaptive cruise control that was a, a radar, single radar that was looking into the, the uh, forward looking distance of the car. Now you have corner radars, corner radars that actually do um, uh, blind spot detection. If you're overtaking a car, if you're turning into the, you're overtaking the car on the highway, getting back into the lane, uh, sometimes you miss out that there's a car in your blind spot. This can be done with a radar system. And then you, you aggregate all this data uh, and you process this data. Um, if it's uh, rainy outside, if it's dark outside, maybe the, the camera will not be so good. So you need an additional physical modality like radar, potentially also like LiDAR, in order to still have a very dependable picture of the environment and that you still generate a very advanced picture of the environment in terms of uh, the resolution of the individual objects outside of the car, uh, distances, are there pass ca cars parking around? Is there a small uh, ball basically jumping onto the street that you need to identify? Absolutely. So more sensors, more data, more sensor fusion that basically uh, takes the different uh, sensor modalities, overlays this. And from this information, after processing, extract the picture of the environment that is then used to determine, okay, do I need to brake? Can I accelerate? What is the distance I need to keep, and potentially also to turn, uh, turn, uh, turn the car, and move the car uh, from left to right. Well, you know um, that also begs questions, though, because then we're talking a lot about data communication, data processing, real-time communication and control, and that starts bringing up the issues when we start hearing about uh, zone architectures and centralized architectures in the car. When you start talking about that, could you touch on, you know, what would how how a, a zone architecture could help or centralized architecture? What's your preference, and how would you present that to the audience? Yeah, so uh, as we discussed, there's a lot of sensors, there's a lot of data being generated. You need to communicate this data. <laughs> so it doesn't help if the data is only in the sensor. Uh, you need to communicate this uh, big amounts of uh, of data to a processing unit. Now you're using high bandwidth communication. Um, some um, some standards that I used are based on SATIS, serializer, deserializer, LVDS based technology. 
TI is offering FPD Link as a brand name, but there are also other solutions um, that needs to be scalable because you have different rates, different bandwidth requirements. Um, it needs to be power efficient. These are the things that we are addressing. Um, the communication uh, standard that is uh, gaining traction because here you have a standardized way how you communicate between different uh, subsystems. Uh, and then you touched on the uh, computing piece, the processing piece. Absolutely. It's good to capture the data or the picture or the radar information. It's good to process it. It's good to communicate it. And then you need to process it. Now, when it comes down to processing in the past, uh, we were processing this kind of information decentralized. So you had uh, uh, ECUs, electronic com um, com control and compute units that were locally taking this information, pro processing the system, and then um, based on the process output, it was taking decisions. Yeah? So basically, okay, uh, generate a signal to uh, decelerate the car or accelerate the car. Um, with the increase of functionality in the car, different features uh, drive more of these uh, functionalities and more of this uh, processing requirements and subsystems. We see about 100, 150, 200 ECUs around the car. And the challenge is that if you have this everywhere, you see the harnessing problems, you see the update problems, the software update problems. Um, and there's a shift now in terms of how from this uh, decentralized ECUs, we are moving into a domain controller architecture. You're basically combining certain uh, functionalities and features into a more powerful processor in the domain. So now you have an ADAS domain controller, a processor. And the next step is then uh, you move to a centralized compute uh, unit or to a centralized architecture where you have a very high performance compute unit set sitting somewhere, well, centrally, and then um, potentially over zone controllers where there's an aggregation happening you then actually have the data central uh, and then you have uh, higher performance um, processing capabilities, which means you can process more data. You can process this uh, faster, potentially also dynamically changing the processing requirements on the different features. You might not take a picture all the time. So then this uh, processing of be shifted to the radar piece. So you have a more dynamic capability if you have this centralized. And if you're upgrading the software, if you're upgrading the application, if you do this centrally, one, play, one place, it's way easier to do this over the air than if you're updating uh, the different ECUs. Um, and that is driving some of the shifts uh, in the car architecture. For ADAS, that's my last comment here. For ADAS, I think that uh, the zone concept, the zone concept is something that is not the first uh, implementation because uh, you have still a lot of uh, real-time requirements, safety requirements for the ADAS functionality. And uh, guiding this uh, through a zone controller might actually have some more challenges and more complexity. So I think that there will, other, there will be other functionalities in the car that will be affected by zone architectures first. Body functions, for example. They're not that time critical, not that uh, safety critical. Um, but the central compute system and the central compute architecture will also be something for ADAS because you have higher processing power and you have a better upgradability. Well, the upgradability, scalability, over-the-air updates, that's all part and parcel. Now, um, one of the things, though, that makes me pause is we're talking about a lot of power here. All of these subsystems take energy. So, I mean, informationally efficient, you know, the data's got to be properly routed and all. The power 
is a major issue. The system has to be efficient because, yes, um, you've got a lot of power in these vehicles, but there's a budget. You know, the, the, the more the ADAS system takes, the less the traction control takes. Or, and since they're linked, it's probably going to be also part of the uh, traction system in general. Or taking power away from XYZ sensors might make the budget for the infotainment system a little tight. What are your thoughts on the energy aspect, the power management aspect of all of this? Yeah, super critical. I think you're touching a very important part here. Um, so when I, when I say that we have a, a trend towards uh, centralization, this obviously means, as you, as you said, that there will be more uh, processing power and more power requirements, energy power requirements. Um, we're talking, um, we talking about compute systems for ADAS and for IVI that are ranging into the one kilowatt range. I mean, we're talking serious power consumption here. We are talking about water-cooled uh, CPUs, water-cooled computing system, workstation type of uh, performance levels, obviously not for an entry-level car. But if you go to higher luxury cars that have a certain uh, autonomous functionality already implemented, this is the kind of power that we're talking about. So it's critical that we, um, that we develop uh, components, that we comp develop components that are highly efficient um, in terms of what they do. So uh, processors, microcontrollers, they need to be very efficient in terms of how much power they're requiring. And on the other hand, we need to have dedicated power solutions, dedicated uh, DC-DC point of load uh, uh, systems, uh, power management ICs, so integrated PMIX um, that are very specific to the needs of the processor that we are powering or very specific to the SOC that we are powering and that they have a very high efficiency per se and that they have a capability to adapt the power requirement or the power delivered according to the requirement. So this is sleep states. This is uh, low power states. Uh, this is power cycling, uh, high efficient uh, point of load uh, power stages. Absolutely. And this is, this is the area where we actually can make a difference. And also from Texas Instruments, we are trying to address these requirements, not only on processing power being scalable, but also the dedicated power solutions and then also highly efficient and uh, capable systems that as said that, they, that have uh, uh, different power state, different uh, um, sleep states, uh, power cycling that can employ it. And in a very close relationship between the processor, the processor is telling the PMIC, the power solution, how much power is required. And then the PMIC basically adjusts the power levels in order to be very quick in terms of addressing different processing requirements. I think this is a very key uh, part of uh, this equation because we also want to have these functionalities, more ADAS functions, more convenience, more safety, uh, more IVI, so more infotainment. But on the other hand, we do not want to pay with lower range uh, of the car. So this needs to be in a balance. And I think that uh, these, uh, uh, these trends actually are supported. And with the technologies that we are developing, we can enable also high level of, uh, of uh, capabilities in terms of ADAS functions, IVI functions, but still having an addressable uh, range that is, uh, that is accepted uh, by the customer. Very cool mural. Now, um, can you give us some examples of some TI solutions that specifically address these uh, application spaces? Yeah, so if I, if I start with, uh, we've talked a lot about processing. Uh, if I start uh, about the processing piece, we have a very uh, scalable product portfolio of uh, processors. Uh, 
that have ARM cores uh, for the applications that have ARM cores for the real-time requirements. So MCU cores. Uh, here, I would just like to uh, mention our, our Jacinto uh, product family. Uh, here we have a TDA um, TDA family that ranges from two to three to four. Um, that actually gives a scalability uh, to developers. Um, but also our Citara um, product portfolio here, um, Citara MPUs, that again offer scalability, different power requirements, different processing capabilities, different interfaces, and different uh, kinds of real-time MCUs, real-time MCU cores, as well as ARM um, application cores. And then um, we have dedicated PMIX that go along uh, with these processors from TI. But of course, we know that there's choice. So we also uh, power different SOCs uh, from other suppliers, uh, also from the big from the big guys in this, uh, in this area, um, but also for smaller uh, microcontrollers. And then and then on the um, on the radar piece, we have a dedicated product portfolio of uh, radar SOCs. Um, some brand names uh, would be our AWR family. Uh, here we have uh, radar SOCs that also offer a very scalable approach to the radar requirements. We're talking long range, high uh, resolution, or are we talking shorter range, uh, uh, higher um, field of view, uh, lower cost implementation? high integration integration levels. So we actually have dedicated solutions that have the radar analog front end only. We can cascade them. Then we have a, then we have a separate uh, microprocessor where this is processed, or we have a single chip solutions where uh, the radar front end as well as the processing inside of one SOC. Also the interfaces, uh, so PHY interfaces for, or driving PHY interfaces for Ethernet or for CAN, so you do the processing, um, the processing for the communication also on the on the single chip SOC. This way, you can actually uh, implement different requirements, different use cases, and pick the right devices uh, depending on performance levels, well, cost levels as well, size levels, and power consumption. How much support do you give your clients to make sure that they optimize your solutions in their solutions? Yeah, I think you also bring up a very. It's one thing to have the broad and uh, scalable and dedicated portfolio. But on the other hand, uh, these uh, these products need to be supported and they need to be developed into the systems that our customers are working on. Now, what TI does is obviously we have a field application force. We have a field force that is locally to our customers. Um, and when I say local, I mean local. <laughs> They're really uh, across the world in the different uh, relevant places. So we have a local field team that is uh, support our customers in, well, picking and designing in and supporting the different uh, requirements they have and challenges that they sometimes have. Um, but then we also equip our products wherever we can with, um, with content that makes it easier for our customers to develop on their own, or at least to take the first steps. This content is, of course, data sheets, but it's also example implementations. It is also uh, evaluation modules. It is also, what we also do is... Uh, system engineering with uh, small prototyping uh, solutions where we then showcase to our customers how ti technology can be used in the ecosystem and the application system uh, and environment of our customers then we also have uh, third parties uh, where we actually work together with third parties to again uh, develop a full set of offering um, hardware and low-level drivers is one piece of the equation but customers sometimes also want higher levels of applications. They want 
um, if I just name some specific ones, they want Autosar, they want uh, MCAL drivers in order to integrate the, the system into their, into their end product. And here we have, uh, we have a third party network um, which takes the TI products, takes the, the existing uh, low level functionalities and low level drivers and builds on top um, uh, medium layer uh, software, sometimes also a final application, um, a prototype system that customers can then uh, evaluate or purchase and then use in their end systems. I definitely think that it's quite important to have a uh, software and application partnership ecosystem for our customers to make it easier uh, for these systems to be designed and then also brought to, uh, uh, to full production. And uh, yes, if we talk about artificial intelligence, one of the things that is, uh, is a challenge, TI does uh, give example implementations, libraries that support this, but then there are, of course, uh, good third parties that we also work with that make it then off top, on top of this also easier for our customers to build their end systems. Very cool, Miro. Now, um, are there any aspects, before I let you go, are there any aspects that we haven't discussed that you uh, feel that we missed that you need to bring up? No, I think we've covered actually quite a lot of uh, things. I think that there's a, there's a there's a big trend and a big opportunity for ADAS systems. Advanced driver system systems is one of the big drivers of the semiconductor uh, uh, TAM in automotive, besides the electrification of the car. I do think that uh, our customers uh, will differentiate themselves also with uh, ADAS functionalities. Uh, what kind of uh, systems are they deploying in their cars? And it's interesting to see that China, for example, you do see um, they place a very big focus on the ADAS and the autonomous level uh, of the car and differentiate themselves with this. And it's on TI and other semiconductor suppliers to support this trend and to support these capabilities and this differentiation uh, efforts. I do think that at TI, we have a very broad portfolio of products that go into this scalable requirements. And then on top of this, also the ecosystem to support with third party, our own um, examples and prototypes uh, to make it easy for our customers. And the only thing that I would like to, uh, to mention still is that uh, TI has a very uh, strong presence on the web. So we try to make it easy for our customers also to go onto the web, uh, select products, but also um, learn about uh, the systems that we are offering the product in the ecosystem and the environment of our customers. So we do talk applications. We do not only talk uh, ICs and semiconductors. We do talk applications. We have uh, collateral material on our website that makes it easier for our customers to uh, at least evaluate and potentially also pick uh, TI components. And I think this is one of the uh, big areas where we actually are supporting our customers besides the broad product portfolio and the ecosystem. I can only say thanks a lot uh, for the opportunity. I think it's a very exciting area to be in. I agree with you completely, Miro. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today because this has been a very productive conversation and I know our audience appreciates it and they should check out the other podcasts in the series as well and get some other cool insights from some of the other TI experts. But I really enjoyed uh, talking with you today, Miro. Yeah, thank you as well, Alex. Uh, enjoyed the time as well. And uh, I hope we can do more of this and see more oh, cars on the road. We should. And it's a beautiful long road ahead of us, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you.